Welcome, welcome, welcome everyone to Sister Wives with Mary Jane Kay. Let's get into this rewatch episode, Sister Wives Season 4, Episode 5, Infertility and Nesting. This episode, Mary explores her options with Cody and they visit their OBGYN to consider pursuing having another child. And also this episode, Cody betrays Janelle's dream of opening a fitness center, claiming Janelle hasn't sold it to him in order to carve a path for the family to pursue Robin's dream instead. We see Cody using his familiar tactics of acting enthusiastic about things his wives are passionate about, only to flip a switch and change his tune overnight. Cody does this with Janelle this episode, and he did it with Mary and the IVF when she wanted to pursue it. Cody ended up having to tell Mary he was no longer willing to pursue having a child with her when he was the one who suggested that Mary do the IVF in the first place. We also saw this flip-flopping Cody does with Christine when she wanted the family to move to Utah. Cody was excited behind the scenes, only to throw Christine to the wolves when she proposed the idea of the move to Utah to the group. Instead of giddiness and the avid enthusiasm Cody gave Christine in private, Suddenly, he was the loudest voice of opposition against the move, against what Christine wanted, when the wives weren't having it and Cody didn't want to take the heat or stand up and support one of his wives. We also hear Christine voicing this episode that if Cody doesn't like an idea, it means they drop it as a group regardless of what the wives may want. And that is what happened with Janelle's dream. The episode opens with Cody explaining that they have been looking for homes since a month before they moved from Utah. Remember fleeing under the cover of night? Remember that ridiculous scene when they were loading those moving trucks, fearing the passing cop cars, sirens blazing, as if they were there for them when they weren't? The Browns were fleeing Utah under the supposed threat of separation of the family, all for a storyline, all to generate drama. Cody says they are living too far apart and the kids aren't able to function as siblings. They need to be closer. And Cody says he needs exposure to all the children every single day. So they needed to find an area in the same school systems where they can find the right homes and it's been a long time coming. But now the Browns have found the perfect location. After a year of looking, there are two homes that are almost move-in ready in the cul-de-sac. So if Janelle and Christine qualify, they can move in in a month. The Brown adults meet with Mona, their real estate agent, and they also meet with Tanya, the loan officer, who may be able to get them to qualify for financing on the homes. Janelle is sure that Tanya will look at them and say they are nuts. Mary says when Mona introduced them to the property and she gave them the plans to the different homes, she threw those plans away because she thought there was no way they would ever be able to get into these homes. Mary doesn't want to get her hopes up for it to not work out. Robin says it would be a huge payoff for them that they had to move here to Vegas. And if it works out getting these homes, this would be God saying, see, I told you I would take care of you. Now, if God exists, she doesn't owe anyone anything. Just because you went through a rough patch in life or some suffering or stress, it doesn't mean you are entitled to blessings. Life isn't fair and going through tough times doesn't make you entitled to be at the top of the list to get blessed. 
It's as if Robin feels she's entitled to a blessing. She deserves it because the move was hard or her integration into the family was hard. What's interesting is God did give the family this blessing of the four homes. In their perception, in their beliefs, God blessed them. Getting these houses to Robin means it's a sign God is there having their backs. God is present. They got the dream, the four homes, the blessing in the cul-de-sac, and it wasn't good enough for them. Later on, Cody insisted they had to move to Flagstaff. Against the wishes and the well-being of most of his wives and kids, Cody wanted to push his luck, and he insisted to move again. The family gave up those blessings in that cul-de-sac, that dream they hungered for, and they had to move to Flagstaff. It was urgent for Cody. He was happy to trash that blessing, hoping for something bigger and better. There was urgency to ditch the cul-de-sac. Do you guys remember Cody's desperate, manic presentation when he had the crazy hair and the poster boards like he was doing a sixth grade class project where he insisted the houses would sell like hotcakes? Of course, Cody was wrong. It was impulsive. It was insane. Yet the family followed Cody's lead despite their misgivings and again, Cody sold the family the angel singing and the trees and the dream of Coyote Pass. Cody used Coyote Pass as the bait to lure the wives in, to hook them into his dream for a bait and switch, when he never intended on building family homes on that land, in my opinion. Cody always seems to have some trick up his sleeves. He found the Lehigh house. Each wife had her own space under one roof. Things seemed chill, balanced even, pre-Robin. And Cody sold his kids on this move to Vegas with the notion that if they don't go, they will lose their family. That wasn't true, but it made for great drama and it got the family united behind Cody and his impulsive ideas. Cody got blessing after blessing and each blessing wasn't enough. Every time Cody got an itch, The family got a blessing, a sign they saw of God being there, which meant things went Robin's way or Cody's way, of course. And every time Robin demanded a move, every time Cody got stir crazy and manic, hoping for something better in some other corner of the world. And these so-called blessings were cast aside. No blessing was sufficient. Nothing was ever enough, it seems. The family got blessing after blessing with each chaotic move. Robin got blessing after blessing, mooching off of the family. She got her debt paid off, a mansion paid for by her sister wives mostly, a nanny, a best customer for a husband, and she had kids with her best customer. She secured stability for her kids and a father figure for them. She got the legal wife status, and still, she could not reciprocate with gratitude or have understanding with the other wives and kids in the family. She wasn't appreciative of all they gave to her. She didn't give back considering all the family gave her. Robin insisted on being needy, on intentionally dominating Cody's time. Cody was more invested at Robin's house with her and her kids to the detriment of every familial relationship he had. And still Robin could not show compassion or appreciation or understanding or the love her heart swells with to most of the other wives and kids in the family. She couldn't give back the way everyone in the family gave to her. 
She insisted on playing the victim instead of being a force for good, not just for herself and her own, but for the whole family, for the good of everyone. Robin refused to give back, but she didn't mind taking. Robin demanded more and more. She felt entitled to more and more. She expected more deference. She grew increasingly resentful and increasingly manipulative, trying to get the relationship she pictured in her mind so idealistically through less than ideal means, through manipulation, through using Cody to manipulate his wives and kids on her behalf to get her what she felt entitled to. As far as her position in the family and her relationships with her sister wives and some of the kids in the family. Robin didn't appreciate her blessings. She didn't have gratitude. She rejected them, slapping them away, expecting better, giving nothing back for all she received. This family gave Robin everything she has and she was comfortable to destroy it, to uproot it, to play the victim. All Robin does is manipulate and it's usually the people who mention God the loudest who use God to cover the stench of their bad behavior. Cody saw his blessings, his family, as the obstacles to his goals in life when they should be the goal, the ultimate blessing. His family was a nuisance to him. Anything that kept him from Robin and her kids became an obstacle, a chore. Cody dismissed every sacrifice Janelle made being the family's primary breadwinner for years. Cody dismissed every sacrifice Christine made to nurture and help raise all of the kids in the family. Every time those sacrifices were brought up, those sacrifices were diminished. They were dismissed. They were ignored. Every blessing Cody got was because of his wives and because of his family, because of his kids. Cody would not be known or have a TV show if it was not for his wives and kids. Yet he grew to resent his family. They became his obstacles when they were the blessing all along and they weren't treated as such by Robin and Cody. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Cody and Robin mention God to signal how good they are, how loving, how upstanding, but their behavior doesn't match that signal they throw out. Robin feels qualified to tell us that if they get these homes, it's a sign God has their back when she has no one's back but her own. The houses in Vegas were the dream. They got the blessing. They threw that blessing away to put Robin's wants ahead of everyone else's needs in the family. So whenever Robin makes her God comments, whenever Cody mentions God and his signs as if he's some type of prophet or cult leader, it's the kind of hypocrisy that makes one sick. Whenever Cody and Robin get what they perceive as blessings, they seem to burn everything down and they enable each other to inflate each other's egos. They enable each other's toxic behavior and delusions and they get greedy for more and more stepping on everyone in the process taking zero accountability until the goblin duo are mooching and feasting on their own family, referencing God to show how good they are, how kind and how humble. 
and it's very used car salesman to me. The Browns have to make an offer and get it accepted, so now the loan has to be pre-approved. Mary wants to know how hard this will be, and Tanya, the loan officer, says getting them established to purchase the four lots, they need to get the documents together, and then she will try her best to work her magic. The wives and Cody meet up with Tanya to get the paperwork started. When Cody was first introduced to the home that they bought in Utah, Cody didn't believe it could happen, and he told the realtor he wasn't even going to look at the home. He called Janelle, and they chatted about it, and Janelle told Cody to get the home. She knew it was the home they needed. Cody says it was like a dream, and he did not believe that he could afford it, but the four of them got together And magic happened, and it changed their lives. Cody says, looking at this the same way, it's a big challenge for them. It's a dream. And Cody says, having had a really big dream come true that blessed their lives so much, he is willing to believe it this time. He's willing to pursue it. Tanya meets with the wives and Cody to get the ball rolling on the financial documents. Tanya wants to know when Janelle will have all the paperwork. Janelle has everything and she knows where it is. It shouldn't take long and Janelle says they're all anxious to get going. Logan is going to graduate in June so she could have a few months for Logan to get attached to the house and pick a bedroom so that Logan feels he has a home. Janelle really wants to be one of the first ones to move in. Cody wants Logan to stay home and go to college locally and the only way for them to do that is if they have a home where they're functioning as a family again. Mona, the realtor, warns the Browns that right now it's up to them how quickly this goes. The sooner they get the paperwork in, the sooner Tanya can start the loan process. Tanya says from the lender's side, the bank would look at this family as Mary and Cody being a married couple and then three single moms. It's not strange to be working with a polygamist family, but Tanya says it normally doesn't have five borrowers trying to buy four houses right next door to each other at the same time with the same financing. If everyone gets the paperwork in pronto, Tanya will have an answer for the Browns in two weeks. And Christine and Janelle might be able to get into their homes in 30 days once the financing is in place. The next step is getting the paperwork in and getting more and more info and waiting to see Tanya's answer. Cody says it's a pivotal moment in their lives. The meeting went well and the Browns are in shock because they're on this balance beam of whether they can or can't do this. It's a dream and Robin feels like this dream could be a reality. Janelle is surprised. Tanya said there was hope. Cody says if they get their hearts broken, They have had their hearts broken before. He chokes up in this confessional scene as he gets it out. His eyes get teary, but it looks like he is working to get the tears out. He wants us to feel his emotion, his pain, his struggle. As Cody is doing his crying, Robin wipes away a tear that isn't there, and Cody tells his wives, let's just believe in it. Cody tells his wives again, we have dealt with big heartbreaks before in our lives and he tells them they have overcome all of it. He wants to be the hero boosting morale. This scene is really reminiscent of when Rick Grimes unifies everyone with a passionate monologue guiding them, his people, 
leading them, finding a place to call home in the apocalypse. Except when Rick does it, even amidst the zombies in a fictional nightmare universe, it seems more genuine than Cody doing this. It's as if Cody thinks he's some kind of prophet, some kind of leader. He tells them he is inviting them to believe. He is inviting them to buy into the dream. He believes in it. It seems like utter bullshit and empty words and vacant used car salesman charisma. This is the same bullshit Cody did with his wives on Coyote Pass, where the angels sing. Cody used empty words then to manipulate the obstacles to his goals in life. Robin is smiling. You can tell she is proud of her best customer. And scene. Next, Janelle is writing a business plan for their gym. Janelle is making calls, trying to find outlets for gym equipment, and they've been working on the idea of starting the fitness center for a while now. They flash back to Cody, pointing out the perfect spot for a sign where the sign would already be naturally. Janelle says they had an investor handed to them on a plate, and he decided to go another direction. The investor, who had to read out of a notebook during the family meeting to advise the Browns that the gym had to be big enough for all the gym equipment to fit, that guy decided to part ways with the Browns and not work with them. He decided to go another direction. I wonder if that guy realized this was a dead end. Maybe he saw that Cody seemed to like to spin his wheels. There is a reason this investor guy said, fuck no. And I wonder what that was. Curious minds want to know. So now that the investor has backed off, Janelle is doing what she feels she should have done from the start. She's writing a business plan and she recounts how seven or eight months ago before she started working out, She thought she was in a good place, but she didn't realize what she was missing. The kids would want to hike or do paintball or something physical, and Janelle knew in her mind not to even contemplate going with them. When Janelle started to work out, she says she did it because she knew it would benefit her. Her quality of life has improved drastically. It's given her an excitement about life again. So Janelle really wants to create a gym where people who are out of shape can come and start off at a basic level and regain their lives. Janelle says the amount of money they will need to start the gym is frightening, but this is her passion. She finished a rough business plan that she is presenting to the family. It's a trial run, and she says she knows her sister wives and Cody will stomp on some of it, but she has to remain professional and remember, even though this is her family, now that they've entered into these business realms together, she has to check into a different mindset. Cody, who in later seasons demands to be the family patriarch, the king, the head of this family, asks Janelle what's going on because he doesn't know. He defers to Janelle. Janelle has roughed up the basic numbers and they should budget for 225 per square foot. So an around 10,000 square foot gym is $22,500. Janelle thinks they may find cheaper, but they will need about a thousand people to pay memberships to make it work. Now, keep in mind how enthusiastic Cody was about this idea. They were looking at properties. They were bothering realtors. They were trying to figure out what equipment they would use. They were really like moving the ball along in this process. And all of a sudden, Cody tells Janelle they don't know what they are doing with this. Cody says they're going to be 
asking them to personally sign the monthly rental agreement. So a failure means a bankruptcy. Christine was frustrated by the business meeting. What she has noticed in the past, she says, is if Cody doesn't want to do it, the idea loses power, and then regardless of what anyone else wants, they just don't do it. What Christine is basically saying, in my opinion, is this doesn't work like an actual democracy. If the wives all want to pursue something, or most of them do, and Cody isn't on board, the idea is dead and of. It's not necessarily fair or majority rules. Cody has ultimate power. And what Cody wants, they do. It's his voice that overrides theirs. And I think Christine may know what this fitness center means for Janelle and that she's passionate and she probably believes in Janelle because Janelle wants to do something. She has a work ethic and she follows through. She has a track record of following through. She's not just a dreamer like Cody who moves from one idea to another. Janelle follows through and it gets done. Cody has his head in the clouds. He wants to do this and the next day the wind blows another way and he wants to do that. Remember when Cody wanted to be a real estate guru and he was getting his license in a month if not sooner? There were so many opportunities, right? Then Cody took one look at that huge book and he was intimidated and he didn't want to do it any longer. And he was saying he wanted to be an entrepreneur. Cody has ideas here and ideas there. But he never follows through. He doesn't have the fortitude. He doesn't have the work ethic. He doesn't have the will. He won't be inconvenienced by anything. If it isn't easy, he probably won't try it. When Christine says if Cody doesn't like an idea, if he changes his mind, then they just don't do it. Cody says... That wasn't his intention. He says his intention was to discover whether this was feasible for them. And by the way, this is a confessional scene and Janelle looks very frustrated. She looks irritated. I think Cody probably did the exact same thing with Janelle he did with Christine and the Utah move. Probably in private, Cody was all for it. And with Janelle, he certainly showed that he was for it. And he showed a lot of enthusiasm. They were going so far as to check out properties. Cody was excited and he was enthused and he may have been passionate even. And then all of a sudden, when he realized probably that Robin wanted to do my sister wife's closet and probably that Janelle would be the one who would need to be the most in control since she was the most competent and capable as far as doing the gym. He then suddenly went cold to the fitness center idea very fast overnight and it probably felt shocking to Janelle, almost like a betrayal because she feels very passionate about this. It means a lot to her. Cody tells his wives back at the business meeting that that amount of money in any other investments and other businesses And he says, or something like that, because he is just very business-minded. He says, the amount of money in other investments and other businesses, or something like that, would probably be way more profitable. Cody, who was intimidated by the real estate book, when he was telling his friends that he would be getting his real estate license in a month, if not sooner, there were so many opportunities That Cody, who never follows through, is now advising Janelle, the primary breadwinner for his family for decades, an educated, intelligent, ambitious woman, that that amount of money in other investments, in other businesses, or something like that, as Cody puts it, would probably be way more profitable. 
Are these other businesses or something like that that Cody the Entrepreneur refers to my sister wife's closet? Probably. And Cody spent way, way, way more than $22,500 on that failed dream for his favorite wife. And as Cody said, they don't know anything about a fitness center. Well, guess what? They didn't know anything about the jewelry business either. Yet Cody plunged right ahead and they lost a lot more than $22,500 because we see Cody taking out an exorbitant loan from the pawn shop guy for my sister wife's closet. Cody tells his wives at the meeting it's just a matter of them needing to sell it to him. Cody asks Janelle how important this is to her and she feels really passionate about making this happen. Cody doesn't want this to be the business that sucks all of the profits they are getting with the marketing and putting them into this. Janelle says it's a scary number, but it's startup. And Janelle takes exception to Cody saying if he is not excited, she better sell it to him. Janelle thinks, why does she have to sell this to him? This was something they were already doing. And they were doing this. And Cody seemed very interested. They had an investor lined up. They had the fitness trainer. They had the realtor. They were looking at properties. So they were going down the line of actually having this fitness center come to fruition. Cody seemed invested. He seemed on board. And Janelle wonders why Cody is now the person she has to suddenly sell this to. You see, Cody was excited about this idea. They had an investor involved. They were looking at locations. Cody really, really sold to Janelle that he was on board and he was probably passionate about this privately. He was probably enthusiastic. And then all of a sudden, he switched off on the fitness center with no warning overnight and he changed his tune on camera in front of the group knowing if he drops it, it's dropped. The wives don't really get to still continue on if they want to, if he doesn't want to. And Janelle is left wondering, confused, how Cody flipped suddenly now. Where is this coming from? She is left perplexed. Like what happened? And this is the exact same type of bullshit Cody did with Christine and Utah. He made her feel he was on board. He wanted to move too. Was enthusiastic about the possibility of moving back to Utah. He had Christine bring it up to the group in a meeting meaning Christine would be the target for the flack when the wives were not down. And Cody didn't try to support Christine or admit what he secretly wanted. He betrayed Christine and he flipped the switch and he threw her under the bus and he suddenly was not on board. And not only that, but he was the loudest voice against the move. What he actually told Christine he wanted and she was painted as unhinged, overreacting, emotional, when she was devastated by feeling betrayed and manipulated by her husband. Cody is doing the same thing with Janelle and her fitness center. When Janelle asks Cody, why are you the one I suddenly have to sell this to? She's shocked. He asks her, I don't have to sell everything that we do to you? He doesn't answer the question. He deflects because the reason he's not down for this anymore is he probably wants to support Robin's dream of my sister wife's closet. Christine looks upset for Janelle. During this confessional scene, she is just looking down into her lap. And Cody tells Janelle he sold this couch to her that they're sitting on right now. 
And Janelle is laughing, but she is probably incredibly frustrated internally. Cody explains when they start talking about the hard numbers, he's going, okay, they have to make sure they have the energy and the financial ability to do it. Cody wasn't trying to kill anything. He just wants to do it right. All he is looking for is to get it right. Cody, the guy intimidated by the real estate book, is going to show Janelle how to do things right. He's interested in doing things right. Excuse me. It's interesting how Cody doesn't seem to trust Janelle. And Janelle has proven she knows how to support the family. Without her, Cody could never support his family under any circumstances. Janelle is annoyed and she leaves to get her kids. Cody is glad Janelle has found a business she wants a lot and he likes it. He wants the business too. He says he has an emotional attachment to the fitness center idea too. Cody says this was his original idea. He is the one that wanted to have the fitness center. He brought this idea to the family, but he also doesn't want to go broke just trying to be in his passion. This idea seems like it was Janelle's and now Cody wants to take ownership of it. What we saw on the show is that they had a business meeting where Cody was enthused about a family restaurant with healthy food. And Janelle is the one who suggested a fitness center. Now, we don't know what happened off camera in real life. Now, Cody is saying he is emotionally attached, so much so that he's claiming this wasn't Janelle's original idea, the fitness center. This was his idea originally, and he came up with it first. But he has to be practical. He can't go broke for his passion. I think Cody wants us all to feel like he isn't the bad guy. He isn't the one who controls everything ultimately. He isn't the one who has the final say. He wants it to seem like the wives have their voices heard too. They get a vote too. And he wants us to feel this really bums him out. So when he introduces that they are going with Robin's dream here shortly, we don't feel like he is doing what the favorite wife wants, fulfilling her dream while abandoning Janelle's especially when they took out a much bigger loan for my sister wife's closet than they would have for the gym. Janelle was saying it would be $25,500. And Cody proposed borrowing double or triple that amount from that pawn shop guy, his friend, on the show for my sister wife's closet. If Cody makes it seem like he's sad that they can't pursue Janelle's dream that was really his dream, and he thinks it makes it look like it is less likely that he is killing Janelle's dream to pursue Robin's dream. Or it makes it look less likely that he is the ultimate voice in control if he's giving up his dream, which is actually Janelle's. Also, Cody doesn't mind going broke, just trying to be in his passion. Look at his family. That blessing is worth more than any riches in the world money can buy. That should be his ultimate passion, the ultimate goal of his life. And Cody ended up viewing all of his kids and wives as the obstacles to his goals in life. And he gave up all those blessings, his wives and their relationships with most of his older kids, to have his passion, his soulmate, the favorite wife, all to himself in monogamish hell. Cody went broke. He lost his family for his passion. Cody lost what once was. He went totally bankrupt, lost his family. He went broke, squandering his blessings to have his passion. His soulmate, the favorite wife, who refers to him as her best customer, 
who she schmoozes. So he'll buy what she sells. So when Cody says he won't go broke for his passion, he already has. And he already had when he decided it was acceptable to have a favorite wife he favored and invested in above the rest of his riches, the blessings he had in his other wives and kids. Janelle says she is still passionate about her dream. It's a little bit of a wet blanket, but she says it's all good. She is still going to make her dream happen. She just has to figure out the numbers. Next, Cody and Mary consider their fertility options. They head to Mary's OBGYN to discuss fertility. Mary wants to make an educated decision. Mary and Cody are in confessional, and Mary explains that four months ago, after Robin had Saul, she pulled her aside and she asked if Mary wanted her to be her surrogate. They flash back to that scene where Robin says she is offering it wholeheartedly as Mary holds a newborn Solomon. Mary explains Robin offered to carry she and Cody's baby and she says if her body didn't work right, Robin was willing to carry a baby for her. Mary wants to get info from her doctor to decide if she really wants to try IVF. Mary has a lot going on mentally. She has to take Cody's feelings into consideration. She has Leo to consider. Mary figured that talking to her OBGYN was the best idea so that she could make a more educated decision. Mary tells the doctor that she's looking into what it would take for her to have another baby. She and Cody have been married for nearly 22 years at this point. She always wanted to have eight kids. Her mom had seven kids. Cody's mom had 10 kids. And so eight kids seemed like a good number to her. Mary and Cody got married in April and she knew she didn't want a honeymoon baby, but she had every intention of telling Cody on Father's Day in June that she was pregnant. She thought that would be the coolest thing. But by June, Mary wasn't pregnant and it kept going on. And by the time they'd been married for about a year, she started thinking this wasn't normal to go so long without conceiving. So they got fertility books and they read up on things and it kept going. And eventually Janelle came into the family when Mary first found out that Janelle was expecting with Logan. It was difficult for her. Not only is Cody having a baby with his new wife, but she isn't able to conceive when that's all she wants in the world. Mary feels like that's when she really started having her anger issues. She was very angry. It's understandable that you dream of something and your body refuses it. Your body betrays you. And then on top of dealing with that, another new wife comes in and quickly gets pregnant with Cody's first child, a son. I can't imagine the emotional roller coaster and the suffering of that because that's a reminder of a dream Mary had that Cody gets to have so easily with someone else. And this pregnancy and this baby is a reminder of what Mary dreamed of but could not have. It's probably emotional torture. Plus add on the jealousy of having to deal with a new wife and adjusting to that dynamic. I don't approve of Mary taking her anger out on Janelle or on anyone or of how Mary seemed to express her anger with other members of her family, but I also can understand why Mary was struggling emotionally. It isn't easy. None of this is easy. 
And so that's why all of this with Cody suggesting IVF in Mexico for their 20th anniversary, and then Mary initially saying no, then her actually considering again when Robin offers surrogacy is particularly cruel because ultimately Mary will decide she wants to maybe pursue this and Cody shuts Mary down. It's cruel. It's suffering. He's the one who initially suggested that Mary do IVF in the first place. And then he shuts Mary down when she's ready to try. It's a huge emotional roller coaster. Mary got herself to a place where she had hope. She wanted to try, thinking Cody was on board, thinking Robin was genuine in her offer. And Cody pumped the brakes. It must have been devastating. It must have felt like betrayal and utter despair. I really don't agree with the way Mary seemed to terrorize some of the family with her anger that resulted from this. It's not okay to take your anger out on others. But also she went through a lot and Cody made it worse. Mary revisited the idea and to be ultimately told no by Cody who suggested it in the first place when she finally felt ready after everything. That's a huge slap in the face for Mary. And I don't think she expected that, especially from her husband. Mary says Christine married Cody the month before Janelle had Logan. The month after Christine got married, she got pregnant. It was hard for Mary and it really compounded it, her suffering. Mary got to a place where she was seeing all the work Janelle put into this new baby. She couldn't do anything without Logan. Babies required a lot and Mary saw that. So Mary got to thinking that maybe she was okay with this. Maybe she was fine with not having kids. Cody says when Mary told him that she was okay with not having a baby, he had two emotions. One was don't give up. And the other one was, oh, maybe this is what we need to do. Mary is tearing up. Understandably, this is emotional for her. Cody says he and Mary were so emotional. They were emotionally invested in having a baby. So much so that he was convinced they wanted it too much. Then the pressure was off and there was a spontaneous conception because the pressure was off. Cody says he thought that would happen and it did. He thought that if they took the pressure off, they would have a baby and they did. Mary had Leo and Leo was the happiest baby Cody had ever seen. Mary completely assumed that after she had Leo, it would be very easy for her to conceive again. And that didn't happen. Mary says after years of a roller coaster, they backed off. Leo was about 12. Mary thought they were old enough and she doesn't need to worry about having any more kids. The family had other kids and she got to a point where she was okay with not having any more kids. And then she was late again and she took a pregnancy test and it was positive again. At that point, they had a doctor's appointment to hear the heartbeat and Mary was 10 weeks along. They were so excited. They went in and they couldn't hear the heartbeat. The doctor told them it wasn't a viable pregnancy and Cody and Mary were back to a dark place. Marion Tear says she was so frustrated. She was so angry. She didn't understand why after another 12 years of trying, she unexpectedly got pregnant and then it was just taken away from them and she didn't understand it. It was really hard for her. And that miscarriage happened four years ago this month. 
Cody and Mary head to another appointment with the infertility specialist. They're going to test Mary's hormone levels. They're going to check her tubes. They're going to do a hormonal workup. It's a lot to go through. The fertility doctor tells Cody and Mary it looks like they've been trying. And Cody says they haven't been trying real hard, but they haven't been trying to stop it ever. Well, we know over a decade ago that Cody stopped intimacy with Mary. So how often were they actually trying? Even if they tried on every night or two nights a week when it's Mary's turn in the rotation, that only gives a very small chance because she is already only ovulating during a limited window and they're trying for a very small fraction of that limited window because Mary only gets one out of every four nights. So they're probably not taking advantage of her full ovulation window. Mary says they have never done anything to prevent a pregnancy. The doctor wants to know how often they have sex in a month. Mary says timing isn't the issue for them. Cody and Mary are laughing about this in confessional. They get all awkward about sex. All of them do. They start giggling and laughing and acting like kids, like they're having the sex talk at school or something. Cody says he knows it's the process of elimination that they have to have sex at least once a month to get pregnant. It's not just once a month. It has to be when Mary is ovulating. And ideally, they should be trying on all the days she is ovulating, not just on her one night out of four when she happens to be ovulating. Mary says she knows this is all scientific. It's a purely scientific question. But she says still it was like, oh, like she seemed shocked or taken aback by such a personal question. Cody and Mary are giggling on the confessional couch. They're very uncomfortable. They're behaving awkwardly. And Cody says they don't make a habit of talking about it. And Mary says it's a very, very, very private subject. It's a personal subject and they just do not talk about it. So that question shocked her and she was not expecting it. So she was surprised when she responded that they were fine and there were no worries about that. It's ridiculous how these people get with anything regarding sex. They get all awkward and giggly and uncomfortable and bent out of shape. They live in a unit of four women sharing one husband. And I understand they do it for religious purposes and they don't go weird, guys. They don't go weird, but they get awfully bent out of shape with sex when there's really no need for it. They're grown adults. Last week, the Browns got uncomfortable when a viewer asked if they were allowed to use protection and have sex for pleasure or if their religion only permitted sex for procreation. These are four women sharing one dick and sex gets them all bent out of shape and it's insane to me, it really is. Also, Mary has tried IVF before or she's at least gone for testing before in the past. She's done fertility tests before. So how shocking was that question? How shocking was it really? I think maybe they get so uncomfortable about sex because Cody is mostly only intimate with one wife at this point. The doctor gives a scenario as to what this would involve for Cody and Mary. And the doctor was good at explaining how IVF worked. The amount of time Mary will be on fertility medicine for IVF would be about 12 days. And at the 10th or 12th day, her eggs will be ready for extraction. And the egg retrieval procedure takes 30 minutes. They are retrieved vaginally with a probe. Then they fertilize the egg. 
Cody calls it a test tube fertilization, but it's actually done in a Petri dish where the embryologist under a microscope takes one sperm and injects it into the egg. A lot of people use IVF. Some women have trouble conceiving. Some women have cancer genes or different genes they want to avoid passing down to their children. There's all kinds of reasons why people would need a little bit of assistance. Maybe they want to protect their kids from a health concern or something like that. There is nothing wrong with IVF. It's getting more and more common and it can do miracles. And everyone deserves to be a parent if they want to. And everyone deserves to protect their children from any type of genetic issues that they might get passed on to them as well. So I think it's a wonderful thing. Mary says, there is no way for she and Cody after having this consultation with no testing yet for the doctor to be able to give them statistics. But the doctor has seen people after having done these tests where it didn't look like people had a high chance at success and they were very successful with IVF. Mary looks excited. Cody doesn't. Cody jokes they will decide if they're going to proceed by playing rock, paper, scissors. That's how seriously Cody takes this when he knows how much it means to Mary. Mary still doesn't feel swayed one way or the other. She wants another opinion. Cody says, as a principal, he believes that it's the things you don't do that you regret more than the mistakes you make that cause you regret. Cody says, when it comes to this, the way he applies it is when they are 60 years old or when they are 90 years old or when they are dying when they are 110, they will look back and they will be glad they have done the IVF. Mary says she needs to feel peace with herself and in her heart before she can say she has made the decision. She wants to have another baby. She would love that, but she doesn't want to deal with everything leading up to just the possibility of maybe she might be able to. She doesn't know what to do. Okay, so one thing I agree with Cody on is we regret the things we don't do more than the mistakes we make that cause us regret. Everyone makes mistakes in life. Some people make huge blunders, others minor mistakes along the way, and every mistake we learn from, we change from, we grow from, if we are self-aware. Mistakes you regret teach you if you are humble, if you are open. But what we regret most are the things we don't do we wish we had. Everyone has situations in life they can look back on and think, wow, I wish I jumped. I wish I dove in head first. I wish I did that. I wish I said yes to this. As you age, you don't regret the things you did wrong that made you better. You regret the things you didn't do you wished you had. And if you don't take every opportunity in the moment, time will pass. Life will pass you by. And the option that was once so full of possibility is no longer available to you. So Cody is right about that. And Mary is afraid of being taken on a roller coaster ride with her emotions of hope leading to eventual despair. But I think even trying for a possibility, knowing you most likely will be disappointed, is better than not trying at all and not taking the chance because you only have a small chance. And it's better to take the chance and try. Try everything you can than refusing the small chance all together because it might not work out. What's sad is Mary decided to embrace her chance. She decided to take the small chance she had, even if it resulted in disappointment down the line. And Cody 
this person who brought up this option of IVF to Mary encouraged this chance, who renewed hope in Mary, refuses Mary when she decides she wants to try. I can't imagine how devastating that feels. Life isn't fair. Nothing is guaranteed. Nothing is certain but death. Nothing is sure but death and taxes. So you have to live in the moment. Take every chance you have in the present while you have it before the moment passes you by. That does it for this episode of My Sister Wives Rewatch. To my YouTube listeners, don't forget to like and subscribe and let me know your thoughts in the comments section if you like. To my podcast listeners, don't forget to follow and rate this podcast. Give it all the stars wherever you listen. I'll be back next week with the next episode of My Sister Wives Rewatch, Sister Wives Season 4, Episode 6, Four Wives, Four Valentines. Thanks for listening. I'll see you soon. Bye.